Daniel and Hannah made it back safely. Please continue praying for Brother Daniel and his uh, and his recovery from this surgery. I should have mentioned this morning too. Uh, be praying for Brother John Yingling. John had sinus surgery on Friday. That's why I haven't seen him here today. He's recovering from surgery. Also, I wanted to mention to you. I was um, I was debating whether or not to say anything because uh, rumors just kind of run. I, you know, they run, run kind of amok, but I'm assuming this one can, is a rumor always false. I guess they're not always false, are they? I started to say, I started to say, is this true or not? I asked you to pray for Audrina Pfeiffer on Wednesday night, a little girl that was in a terrible car accident right there in front of Walmart. Um, Friday morning, they were waiting to remove uh, life support because of the tremendous um, internal injuries to that little girl. Today, uh, I received a text from one of the police officers that was on scene, and um, they expect her to make probably a full recovery. And it was just an incredible answer to prayer. That, amen. That was an incredible answer to prayer. Um, that little girl's chest cavity was crushed, brain was injured, and um, the parents have been struggling through this. And so I, I, I ask you to keep praying for her. It'll be a long recovery, but... Um, I believe that that's a tremendous answer to prayer. There were a lot of people, there were people praying on that scene uh, for that little girl as she was airlifted. And so pray for Audrina, if you would, and, and her family. Her mom's name is Diana, and I, I was uh, so thankful to get that news. It is, uh, I should have said this this morning too, I just had other things in my mind. It's so good to have Brenda Dockery back in our services. Brenda, Brenda has been uh, quite ill for the last couple of months, and uh, we're so thankful that God's restoring her health and it's always good when people can come back um, after being gone for uh, gone for that long. We're thankful for God's heal- healing on us. I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 16 this evening in your New Testament. Luke chapter number 16. I, I've entitled this message tonight, Can God Save Your Loved Ones? I would say that all of us most likely have a loved one, whether family or friend, that is not saved, or we wonder if they're saved. May I I just throw this out there? Make sure that people know you're a believer in Christ, not just with your testimony uh, spoken, but with your testimony lived. Let them see Christ in you, the hope of glory. I would so much rather preach a funeral like, like Friday night. I would so much rather preach a funeral of a a woman that I know is in heaven by the way she professed Christ and she demonstrated Christ's work in her. There's just a solid testimony left. But how many are in our lives where where loved ones, people, it's not just acquaintances, but people that we love, how many of them are in your life or in my life where we're like, you know, I I really don't know if they're saved. I mean, anybody can say they're saved, but just to claim Christ really doesn't mean that a person is saved. Jesus said there would be an evident fruit in their life if the Holy Spirit is resident and if he's changing them to be more like Christ. So when you go, leave a clear testimony behind. Don't let your kids or your, or, or your spouse or your parents, don't let them wonder. Boy, I hope my son was saved. I hope my daughter was saved. I, I hope my husband's saved. I hope, I hope my parents are saved. Don't leave that testimony we all have folks that we love a lot, whether it's a parent or a, a child or a sibling or a close friend. We all have those that we care deeply about 
that the truth is if they died right away, we would wonder whether or not they're in heaven. So we're told to pray for them. That was a predicament that a man in hell found himself in. I don't believe when you come to Luke chapter 16 and verse number 19, I don't believe Jesus is sharing with us a parable. Stories in the Bible that are parables never use proper nouns. They don't use names. Um, We talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think it's more likely that that was, I think that was a story because he names the city of Jericho in there. If you'll watch Christ's parables, when the Bible says he spake a parable unto them, you don't see proper nouns being used. So when we come to Luke chapter number 16 and we read this tragic story about this rich man, a wonderful story about Lazarus, but a bad story about the rich man, I think we're talking about two real people that walk the earth. But he finds himself in a predicament here when he realized that he was going to suffer in hell forever. And now he had no way to warn five of his brothers that he had back still living. I know that um, this is a Sunday night crowd. You know your Bible. You sing well too. Can I pause right here and say some of you ought to be in choir. I didn't sing most of that second hymn that we sang tonight, My Faith Has Found a Resting Place. I didn't sing most of that just listening to you. Some of you ought to be in choir. Now, you need to pray about that and get your heart right and then show up at 4.30 on Sunday afternoons. Um, That was good singing tonight. I just enjoyed that. Now, let's get to this message. I just better say that because we're recruiting for choir, right? Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking. Let's read this story starting at verse number 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Lobster, shrimp, and prime rib every day for this guy. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate, that rich man's gate, full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. If he can't come to me, can you send him to my father's house? For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if if one went unto them from the dead, 
they will repent. And he said unto him, Abraham to the rich man, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. My goodness, was Jesus speaking prophetically there or not? Because after he rose, he rose from the dead. People still rejected him. You have this story here, and this man who has five brothers that's still living. And I, this will be a different look at this. This will be a different look at this story tonight than perhaps what we would usually approach this with, because our our topic is: Can God save my loved ones? Can He do this? And we're asking that question now from. We're asking that question from the perspective of this man who is in hell. May I just remind you on on this particular story, you've heard perhaps people say before when you talk to them about going to hell, if they're brash and if they're bold and if they're ignorant enough, they will say something like this. Well, all my friends are in hell. Can I tell you that if your friends are in hell, they are asking the same thing that this rich man is saying. Somebody go back and tell my friends not to come here. We may think that in this earthly life. We may think, well, I just, all my friends are going to be there. My family's going to be there. Your friends and family that are already in hell, they do not want you there. They don't want their friends there. They don't want their family there. That's very evident. Must be a terrible place. Did you notice what it said about him when he first died, when that rich man first died? It said, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Did you notice that word torments? I hope your version of the Bible has that plural. Because I think that's not a mistake. I think there's more than one way to suffer in hell. And this guy's experiencing all of them. Terrible place. So, I, I think that one of those torments was the fact that he, he was tormented by the fact that his brothers were going to come there. I know the flames are terrible. The darkness is terrible. The separation from God is terrible. The Bible says uh, the, worm, the, the flame lasts forever and the worm dieth not. It's a terrible place to be. But I think one of those multiple torments is that he thinks his family is going to come to this place too. And he doesn't want it. He couldn't save his loved ones. You and I can't save our loved ones, but the scripture, what what does the scripture say about the salvation of our lost family and our our, our lost friends? Can God save them? Well, the answer is yes, he can. He can. That's the answer to every one of these messages. Can God keep you saved? Yes, he can. Can God meet your need? Yes, he can. Can God save your loved ones? Yes, he can. So I hope tonight to point you to some hope. Remind you of some hope from the scripture for those of you who are praying for your loved ones. And if you're not, if you have family and friends that are not saved and they're dear to your heart and you know they're not saved and you're not praying for them, shame on you. We are called in scripture to pray for these people to be saved. You can't save them. I can't save them. My grandma, my my mom's mom, my Grandma Garlic was her name. Uh, she always used to introduce my dad. My dad led her to Christ. She always introduced my dad. This is my son-in-law, Maurice. He, he saved me. My dad, he's backpedaling so fast. He's like, I did not save you. I just told you about Jesus. 
But she would say, this is my son-in-law, Maurice. He saved me. You and I can't save anybody, but we can take people to the throne of grace and beg God to save them. And he's the only one who can. So I, I want to look at, at this, this thing about God saving our loved ones tonight. Can he do it? And let's, let's look at uh, some things. Let's look at some things from various passages of Scripture. We'll springboard out of here, but various passages of Scripture about can God save your loved ones? Let's look at that tonight, all right? Here's the first one. Let's start with God's past efforts to save your loved ones. God's past efforts to save your loved ones. It says there in verse number 29, Abraham saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. They have the testimony of Moses and the prophets who lived well before them. That what happened back there in the Old Testament, it could lead them to salvation. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. So God's past efforts to save your loved ones. There are great gifts that God's already put in place concerning the salvation of your loved ones. I want to look at three of them tonight. Three of the things that God has done in the past that could bring your your unsaved loved ones and my unsaved loved ones to Christ. Maybe tonight you're already thinking about those people you're praying for. Maybe you have a list. Maybe you have a list of family members and friends who are steeped in sin. They don't want anything to do with Christ. They don't want anything to do with church. They don't want anything to do with the Bible. Um, I was talking to, who was I just talking to? I think it was yesterday at men's prayer breakfast. Is that where I was? If you're in here, you can help me here. Uh, oh, no. Oh, no. It was with, uh, it was with Britt Ferrer. We were at the graveside yesterday. We had a good service yesterday at, at uh, over in North Carolina to, uh, to commit Kate's body to the ground and, re- and be reminded that she's not there. She's in heaven. I was talking to Britt Ferrer, and he was talking to a guy one time. Uh, he had showed up at a scene where someone had died, and Britt said to the guy, he said, look, he said, uh, we're going to be praying for you. And that guy jumped up and got in Britt's face, and he said, I don't want you saying one prayer for me. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't want you praying for me at all. I don't want anything to do with that. Britt said he was so stunned. And he signed, and, and if you know Britt Ferrer, Britt said, I didn't know what to say. Britt Ferrer's never without a word to say. He always has something to say. He said, I didn't know what to say to that. And you may have someone on your list that you're praying for. They don't want anything to do with God. They're not going to be caught dead in this church. Maybe that's the only time they'd be caught in a church is if they were dead. Then you may be praying for someone on your list who thinks they're saved. They're on my list. Uh, there, there are folks on my personal prayer list, they think they're going to heaven. Can I tell you, there's nothing in their life that tells me they're a believer in Christ. There's no peace. There's no pursuit of Christ. There's no chastening in their sin. There is nothing there that tells me they're saved, but they think they are. Maybe that person's on your list too. So I want to look at these these gifts that God has given in the past for your loved ones so that they can know to be saved. The first gift he gave us, this is easy, he gave us his word. He gave us his word. I love that passage of scripture in John chapter 5 and verse 39 where Jesus says this. He says, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. You're right to think that you have eternal life in the scriptures. You're right. And you know what it'll do? It'll tell you get to Jesus as quick as you can. One of the great gifts God has given us so that people can come to him is his word, his Bible. 
In it, we read of God's love for sinners. We read of his plan to save them. The Bible, one of the express purposes of the scripture is so that God could reveal himself to you in a more special way than he did just in in creation. You've heard these numbers before, but they still astound us, don't they? Forty authors spread over 1,600 years, many of which never saw the other ones if they were living at the same time. And yet the Bible's message is 100% consistent from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It's amazing. How does that happen? It happens because God wants to reveal himself to people. He wants people to know about him. So God gave us his word. What else has God done in the past to draw people to himself? He's not only given us his word, he's done great works. He's done some pretty incredible things that tell us about him. Throughout, God's, uh, throughout history, we see God's hand reaching out of eternity and into time where you and I live, and he's doing so so he can bring us to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, who lives outside of time, put himself in time to reveal God to us. God wants to save. We'll talk about that in a minute, but he has done some incredible works. What are some of the works that Christ has done? What's some of those great works that he has done so that people will be saved? Well, one of them is he's done great works in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, the Bible says. That's an amazing thing. Creation itself stands as proof of God's great desire for us to know him. The purpose, when you go out, and it's so much easier to do it if we can get away from the big cities and we can get out where the lights don't exist. The purpose of those millions of stars being visible to us, we're never going to be able to visit those stars. So why can we see them? So that they can declare the glory of God to earth's inhabitants. And you can know there's a God. He, he's done these works in creation. Everything around us that we flippantly call nature is not nature. It's creation. Christians, call it for what it is. I hate it when people start talking about Mother Nature. I'd kick her in the shins. If I could find Mother Nature, I'd kick her right in the shins, wouldn't you? She detracts from the Creator God. She doesn't exist. It's not nature. It's creation. God said things, and what you look around and see, and oftentimes I take for granted, all of a sudden it just showed up. God said things, and beautiful flowers, shrubs, trees, animals, incredible animals, landscapes. We live in a great part of the world to be able to enjoy the beauty of God's creation. Not nature, creation. God's great work of creation. Why did he do that? He did that so the heavens could declare to you, hey, there's a God, and he wants to know you, and he wants to save you. Peter says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, he talks about those who are willingly ignorant. And you have to be willingly ignorant to not see the fingerprints of God on creation. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 1, only a fool looks around and says, there's no God that did this. 
that person's in a fool. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Creation is a general revelation, but it's still a great place to see God's wisdom, God's creativity. What do I mean by its general revelation? I mean that you cannot look at the stars and you cannot look at the sky and you cannot look at at creation around you and come to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus will save you. Creation doesn't do that. Creation just says there is a God out there. Special revelation gives us more details. But even in general creation, like, like the scientific world that we live in, even in general revelation, there's great things about God. I like reading about different things about, about creation, about our planet or the solar system. I know Brother Terry, uh, Brother Terry loves digging into the solar system. We start, when you start talking about the vastness of the universe, that's an incredible, that's an incredible thing. But let, let me just share a couple things with you. Do you know the speed? I, I didn't know this. I had to look this up. You may already know this. Do you know how fast the earth is rotating right now? On its axis, going around the sun. Do you know how fast the Earth is spinning around? I didn't know this. Almost 1,000 miles per hour. Makes you feel like you ought to hold on that chair, doesn't it? Holy smokes. Almost 1,000 miles per hour, the Earth is spinning on its axis. If that dropped down to 500 miles an hour, our days and our nights would be longer. The currents would be messed up. The weather, weather patterns would be messed up. Uh, the poles on the planet would be colder, the equator would be hotter, and you would weigh more than you do right now. That last one just, ooh, that's rough. I'm glad we're spinning 1,000 miles an hour. If the earth was the size of the moon, our gravity, be, our gravity would be too weak to retain a sufficient atmosphere for you and I to survive. Where our earth is, on its rotation around the sun, if we were the size of the moon, our gravity wouldn't be, it wouldn't be able to sustain to keep our atmosphere close to the planet. If the earth was the size of Jupiter, the extreme gravitation would almost make it impossible for you to lift your foot off the ground. If we were as near the sun as Venus, the heat would be unbearable. If as far away as Mars, it would snow and ice every night on the planet, even in the warmest regions. If the oceans on our planet, this is incredible. And, and look, look, I'm not making this up. These are all people smarter than me. I've got to read somebody who has smarts to them. If the oceans were half the size of their present size, the earth would get one-fourth of the rainfall that we get. If the oceans were one-eighth larger than they are, our rainfall on the entire planet would increase fourfold, and the planet would be an uninhabitable swamp. I'm saying all of those things to say God has gone to great lengths to make a planet in this vast solar system where he could create a man and a woman in his image that he knew would one day sin against him, And before he ever created them, he said, now when I do that, I'm going to have to make a way for them to be saved because they're going to fall after I do that. God went to great lengths to create a place where you could live and where I could live. And just just a little bit of adjustment in our planet, and we couldn't live. I'm saying in creation, God is showing, I, I want 
to save those people. He made a place where we could live. Not only his works in creation, his works in Christ. Because, as I said a moment ago, creation is general. If you go out and look at the stars, and if you believe in, let's use, let's use a term I really don't care for, if, if you believe in an intelligent design model, then you'll go outside and you'll look and you'll see, well, it didn't happen by chance. It had to, something had to happen, something had to be at work to create all that. But if you go outside and you look at the stars and you don't believe in, in, in scientifically, evolution is impossible. It just is. There, there are so many scientists who will be honest about experimentation and about processes and about time, and they will tell you the human eye, just your eye, is impossible to be produced over limitless time and random opportunity. You can't have it. You can't have the human eye. So let's just say we go outside, we look up at the stars, and, and we, we go out and we admit there's a God General Revelation says there's a God out there, but it doesn't tell me that I've, I've sinned against that God. And it doesn't say that God's made a way for me to be saved. So I need something greater than this creation. These are fantastic things about our planet, but I need something greater than creation. So the second work that God done, not just in creation, the second work he has done, he's done it in Christ. He sent his Holy Son to the planet to become our Savior. The very fact that God sent Jesus, his son, is proof that he wants to save your loved ones. John 3.16 says he sent him because he loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 10.30 and John 14.9 says that Jesus is the perfect revelation of the Father. God wanted to show us himself. That God sent his son to reveal himself to us shows us the length he will go to in order for you to be saved and in order for those loved ones you're praying for to be saved. He created the world. He sent his, his Christ. In creation, in Christ, you see these great works God has done at Calvary. That's the third work. At Calvary, when all of God's works are considered, there are none that show his desire to save people more than what took place at Mount Calvary when Jesus was crucified. I mentioned to you this morning, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. That's that's an astounding verse. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. At Calvary was God's greatest work to reveal his desire to save us. Every lash that Christ took, Every drop of blood he, he, he spilled, every slap on his face, every piercing that took place on his body at Calvary, every one of those things reveals his love for the lost person. God so loved the world. That's his past efforts to save us. His past efforts to save your loved ones include giving us his word, in doing these great works, and then in the past, he's also revealed his will. I love it. Do you like it like this? I, I like plain spokenness. So the Bible says that part of God's will is this. God's desire is this. Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. Not 
willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing, not desirous. I don't believe that God desires anyone to go to hell. I don't believe God designed anyone to go to hell. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, is that going to happen? Is every person going to be saved? No. In fact, the Bible teaches that most people are not going to be. Most are going to reject him. But God has revealed his will. What's his will? His will is that you don't perish. He doesn't want you to die and go to hell. He doesn't want your loved ones to die and go to hell. He's revealed his will to us here. He desires no one to go to hell, although a lot of people will. The Bible, remember the the wide road and the narrow road. That's a prophetic passage of scripture. In other words, he, he wants to save your loved ones. So the first thing is this, God's past efforts to save your loved ones. You can see him in his word. You can see it in his works. You can see it in his will. All of these things point to God working to save those people on your prayer list. The second thing is this. That's, not, that's God's present eff- or past efforts to save your loved ones. God's present efforts to save your loved ones. God's present efforts. Back in our story in Luke chapter number 16, they're having this conversation. I don't know how all that works. I, I don't know that today Abraham is able to talk to people in hell. I, I don't know how all that works. I just know that here in this chapter they could. And they're having this conversation in verses 29, 30, and 31, and they're talking about this. What is it that God is doing right now to see your loved ones come to know him? What is God working on right now? He said, would you send Lazarus back from the dead? Would you send him back from the dead so he can tell my five brothers how to be saved? And he said, if they don't, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're, they're not going to be saved. I've, I'm doing something right now for them. My, my word is active right now when, where they're living. They have it. In fact, that's what, that's what he says. He says they have Moses. Did Abraham know who his brothers were? Was he being that specific? Your brothers have the works of Moses. They've got the writings of the prophets. They've seen it. They have, the, they have Moses and the prophets. A lot of times we pray and we pray and we pray and we see no change in their life. And it's easy to become discouraged when you're praying for someone to be saved. Because if, you're, if you and I are the right kind of Christian, it breaks our heart to think that our loved ones are going to go to hell. And we don't see change coming around them. But scripture reminds us of this. God is at work. What is God doing right now to save those people on your prayer list? Who is that on your prayer list? Do you have their names in your mind? What's God doing right now to save them? He's at work. The first thing is this. He has the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is capable of doing something that we can't. You can nag your loved ones about being saved. Did you know that? You can nag them about being saved, and you'll turn them off. You'll turn them off. I I use the phrase sometimes, you can beat them over the head with the gospel, but you're not going to get them saved. It's it's not going to happen. God can do something we can't, because you and I can't bring about conviction in a heart. We can't do that. Only the Spirit of God does that. Jesus said in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit is coming. When he does, he will reprove 
the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to do the convicting. What is God doing right now for those people that are on your prayer list? They're breaking your heart that they're not saved or that they think they're saved and they're probably not. What is God doing right now? First, he's giving them the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Sow the seed. Absolutely sow the seed to your loved ones, but don't turn them off with it. You're not the only one that can give them the gospel. Give it to them, but pray that God, we pray this often, pray that God would intersect them with other Christians. Jesus said a prophet, a prophet is not, does not have honor in his own country. Sometimes your family's a hard, is this not true? Your family's the hardest people in the world to witness to. If it's you, it's hard to witness to them. So pray that the the Holy Spirit would convict them. One way that God is working in them today is he's convicting them. There's another way, and that's the change that they see in the saints. The change that they see in you. Let them see Christ in you. One of the greatest things God does is to touch the hearts of the lost when they see the drastic change in a person through salvation. It's inexplainable, isn't it? Sometimes. It's inexplainable to see what God does in a life. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, talking about those old things passing away and all things become new. Sometimes it's inexplainable. And those people have to say, well, that God has to be doing something to them because, because I knew them before they started going to church. Now, they look at it like you started going to church, you changed the way you live. No, God changed you on the inside. That's what took you to the church. And God is changing you and making you new. It's that change in Christians, that new creation that is evident, that draws lost people. What, does, uh, what, what do the Gospels say? Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let them see Christ in us. You see, whether the lost person admits it or not, They're bothered by certain things that they think about. They're bothered by what might happen after death. Maybe they're being bothered by sin. Let's go back to that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they're bothered by that. They're bothered by these different things. And then they see you not bothered by that. When he sees God in a person, when they see the change that's being made, God can use that to draw them to yourself. Somebody said the greatest witness to the power of looking at the serpent, uh, the greatest witness to the power of looking at the serpent for healing in Numbers 21 was looking at people who had already looked at it and they were healed. Do you remember that whole story, those fiery serpents that God sent into the camp and they were biting people and people are dying right and left. Thousands of them died and they were suffering and, and Moses was to make that brass serpent. He put it up. And all they had to do, the Bible said this, if they'll look at that, all they had to do is look at that thing. How easy is that? Just look at that pole over there. See that brass snake? And when they looked at it, they were healed. That sounds like a ridiculous piece of advice in order to get rid of this poison in your body, doesn't it? And yet, they were looking around and they saw person after person after person that had been struggling because they were snake bit. And they'd gone and looked at that brass serpent on a pole, and now they were healed. That's what I'm talking about here. 
Let them see the difference in you because you've come to Christ. God uses that to draw your loved ones to himself. He uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit and he, he uses the change that is seen in believers. And then this is a little bit repetitive, but he uses the challenges from scripture. He uses his word. I, I, I want to I say it as often as I can. This is not a normal book. The, the word of God is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Let God's word do its work. When it's preached, when it's taught, when it's lived out in this world, when we make it part of our daily life, God promises to take his word and to use it like he should, like he wants to. God uses the conviction of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart, and you can't manufacture that, nor can I. I can nag people. I can bug them, and I'll turn them off with the gospel. But the Holy Spirit can convict them. And then he uses the change, and then he uses the challenge from the scriptures. God's word is a powerful word. It's just the right time. That seed takes that seed takes root, and God brings about fruit. God's past efforts to save your loved ones, God's present efforts to save your loved ones, and this last one is your personal effort to save your loved ones. What are you doing? There in verse number 27 in our story, that unsaved man burning in hell, condemned there forever, that unsaved man had a burden for his family. Isn't that, isn't that a, an interesting way to look at that? He had a burden for lost people, the guy in hell. Your personal efforts to save your loved ones, what can you do to see them saved? Let's wrap this up with these tonight. Number one, do what you're already doing. Be concerned about them. Have a burden for them. Be concerned about the fact that they're going to hell. And you said, but I've been praying for them for years, Pastor. I've been, they've, they're on our prayer list at church. I've had that person on the prayer list at, at our church for eight years or for 10 years or for 12 years. Don't quit praying. Keep praying. Be concerned about them. You've wept over those people. Psalm chapter 56 and verse 8 says God honors those tears. He remembers those tears. He will honor a broken heart. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you have have heard someone testify that they got saved after for years hearing their dad, dad and mom, they would overhear dad and mom praying for them They'd walk by a, I, you know, when I was a little kid, I don't remember the number of times I walked by my mom and dad's door and I could hear my mom and dad in there praying before they came out. Like, especially on Saturday mornings, we were up before they were to watch cartoons. We'd walk by their door. I don't remember how many times I'd walk by their door and I could hear them in there praying for their eight kids. How many people got saved after hearing someone pray for them for a long time. You might be here tonight and you're not saved. And that little, that little blurb right there, now you're thinking, you know, so-and-so has been praying me for a long time. Be concerned about them. 
Oftentimes, God uses our burden and our brokenness over them to weigh on them. Let them know you're praying for them. Don't nag them. Let them know you're praying. Be concerned about them. The second thing, and this may be something we struggle with, be consistent before them. Be consistent before them. Inconsistency, church, is a terrible testimony. Man, there's some illustrations I want to use, but you may know some of these people, so I don't I want to say them. But there are some people I have, in the years that I've been here, there are some people I have cringed when I hear them tell others they go to Faith Baptist Church. It's like, could you just not say that? An inconsistent testimony is a terrible testimony. But a consistent life that puts Christ first in everything, it's hard to argue against that. What is a consistent, what do I mean by a consistent testimony? It's one that doesn't talk church on Sunday and talk trash on Monday. You, you ought to be careful about you ought to be careful about your language. Where you work, you don't have to talk like the unsaved. I, you know, I, I've, I've had cops tell me before, you just got to speak their language, chaplain. You just don't. No, you don't. Because I know I know police officers that don't. Well, I work on that construction crew. I work at that factory. That's just how we talk down there. No, that's how they talk down there. You're a child of God. Have a consistent testimony. And inconsistency in our spiritual walk is a terrible testimony for Christ. Let them see. It doesn't matter how much you look like Jesus in here nearly as much as it matters how much you look like Jesus at work or at home. Be consistent before them. No one ever wins people. This is true. No one ever wins people to Jesus by living an inconsistent life in their Christianity. I've never had someone come here and come down here to our our altar and say, you know, I work with so-and-so that comes here and, man, they're just up and down their Christian life and sometimes they're telling the same jokes I tell and sometimes they're laughing at the jokes I tell, but their life really has brought me here. I've never heard that story. You know what I've heard? And you've heard it too? You know, I work with someone. I I work with so-and-so here. Or I live next to so-and-so there. And man, there's just something different about them. All the time. I watched it when they lost. I watched him when he lost his job. I watched her when she lost her child. And all I see is this consistency in them. That'll draw people to Christ. What can you do? Be concerned about them and pray for them and be burdened about them. You can also be consistent before them. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he starts that verse off and he says this, Only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel. Make the gospel look good on you. You got somebody that has a trashy mouth or a, dirt, or a wrong mind or their, their habits aren't what they should be and they try to clothe themselves in Christianity, it really doesn't become them. Let your conversation, that word conversation means your daily life, what you do, let it be as becometh the gospel. You're saying, man, pastor, that's a, that makes sense. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that's pretty, that makes sense. But pastor, I've blown it in front of the people that are on my prayer list. 
I blew it in front of them. And it, it was pretty rough. So what do you do when you're praying for someone to be saved? And all of us blow it, let's be honest. There's, nobody's in here pious enough to say we don't blow it. What do we do when those people on our prayer list that are breaking our heart because we think they're going to hell, what do we do it when as a Christian we blow it in front of them? You're, you're going to think to yourself, I've lost all my influence. That's probably not true. It might be temporary. You've got, a, you've got a mark against you, but you've not lost your ability to get it back. So when we blow it in front of them, what do we do? How do we get that influence back? Can I just give you, can I just give you a couple of suggestions? The first thing is you go to God and seek forgiveness for whatever you did that blew it. If you've sinned, 1 John 1, 9, that situation. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Go to God, seek forgiveness. Second thing, go to them and seek forgiveness. Humble yourselves. You know, you and I would be amazed at how far humility goes in our life. That's one of the three things that when, when the prophet said, what does the Lord require of you? One of those things is to walk humbly. So you go to them and you go to your loved ones, those unsaved people, and seek forgiveness from them. Apologize, ask them to forgive. And the third thing, share your testimony with them again and say, you can see, now you know. Now you know I'm not perfect. But God has forgiven me of that sin and taken that penalty. And you can share that testimony with them. That gives you an opportunity to say, I'm not perfect. I'm just living by grace. And go ahead and tell them, just so they know. Go ahead and tell them, I'm probably going to blow it again. We're not super Christians. We're just people walking in grace and hopefully growing to be more like Christ every day. If you've blown it, do that. Your personal efforts toward the family members you're praying for to be saved, be concerned about them. Don't lose that, that burden for them. And then be consistent before them. As best you can, walk in the Spirit and be consistent. And then the last one is this. And a lot of times Baptists, and I've been one my whole life, a lot of times Baptists are not very good at this one. Be compassionate toward those lost people. We were coming out of the office tonight. We were talking about Baptists and the marks against us sometime. Brother Wayne brought up that, that nut job church out there in the middle of Kansas. I, we don't, thankfully, we don't hear about them hardly anymore, that Westboro Baptist Church. I wish they'd take Baptist and church off their church sign. Um, but, you know, as Baptists, sometimes we can be pretty... Um, uncompassionate. Is that a word? I don't know if it is. Spell checker may not like that. It may give me a red line under uncompassionate, but you get what I'm saying? Sometimes Baptists towards sinners, we can be uncompassionate. If your loved ones are lost and they're living sinful lives, what do you think they were going to do? Do you get mad at a blind person because they don't see things? No, they're blind. They're blind, they don't see it. Do you get mad at a deaf person because they didn't hear you hollering at them? No. You wouldn't do that at all. Why? Because they're deaf. Then why do you and I sometimes get so critical and so harsh towards sinners? That's what they do. Shoot, 
That's what you and I do, and we're saved. Be compassionate toward them. This woman was taken in the very act of adultery. She was jerked out of the bed and might have been brought to Jesus half naked. Do you remember how Jesus treated that lady? There's Nicodemus who has lied and cheated his way into wealth. He's dishonest with all of that whole tax system. All he's doing is getting rich on the back of people. Do you remember how Jesus treated that that dishonest tax collector? Do you remember that woman that Jesus was sitting by a well over there and she comes up and, and she'd been divorced five times and now was living with the guy? It wasn't even They were living in sin. Do you remember how Jesus treated her? Then what gives you and I the right to be so critical of people who really need someone to show compassion on them and share the gospel with them? I'm not talking about tolerating sin. I, that's, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Jesus didn't tolerate sin. What did he tell that woman that was taken in adultery? What did he tell her? I'm not going to condemn you, but stop what you're doing. Change this. What did he tell Nicodemus? Nicodemus, come down here. We're going to go to your house today. Look at the change that came about in Nicodemus. How did he respond to that woman at the well? Listen, you just need to know what real worship is about. You say you ought to worship in this mountain. Jews say we ought to worship in that mountain. The day's coming, you're not going to worship in no mountain. You see the compassion that Jesus had toward these sinners? Be compassionate toward them. What should you do? Be patient with them. Be patient. Wait on the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Do what you should do. Wait for God to do what he wants to do. But you have a responsibility, and I do too, toward these folks that are without. You look at this scripture, all these scriptures. God has done everything he can to save your loved ones. Some of you have done all you can to see your loved ones come to Christ. Now it's up to them. It is absolutely up to them. God can save your loved ones. He wants to save your loved ones. He will save your loved ones if they will call on him. That's it. Do what you can do. Trust God to do what he will do. And then leave it in his hands. Does that mean you won't be brokenhearted over lost? No. Good grief. No. We ought to be broken. What did Paul say? Paul said, look, when I look at the nation of Israel, when I consider my brothers... I would be accursed myself if I thought it would bring them to Christ. That Can I just tell you, I don't know if I'm there. I, I was talking to somebody the other day. Maybe it was somebody in here. I don't, I don't know if I'm at that place. That's an incredible statement. I wish myself could be cursed if it meant the rest of Israel would be saved. That's an incredible statement. You do what you can do and then leave them, leave them to God. So let, let's wrap this up. I got, I've got three maybe statements here, all right? Maybe you're here and you need to be saved. You're the one on somebody's prayer list somewhere. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe your dad and mom are praying for you or your son or daughter is praying for you. 
maybe you've messed up in front of those people that you're praying for. And now your testimony isn't what it should be. Maybe you're burdened for a loved one so much it's hard to talk about it. Wherever you fall in those maybes, here and not saved, saved, but you blew it in front of your loved ones. Or you're just broken hearted over them to be saved. I would invite you tonight to come and do what you need to do. Maybe you need to come and let someone show you how to be saved. Maybe you need to take that first step because you blew it in front of those lost people. Maybe you need to take that first step and come tonight and humble yourself at this altar and say, God, I'm seeking forgiveness from you. I'm going to seek forgiveness from them later, but I'm asking you to forgive me and give me the boldness to go seek forgiveness for them and restore my testimony before these. A good name, Proverbs says, is to be chosen. You have to choose to do that. There's, there's an effort to build that good name. And then maybe you, you want to come tonight, you just want to pray for those people on your personal prayer list. I, I don't know how this works, but I'm telling you, God can save and wants to save those people that you're praying for. Be encouraged by that. He's gone to great lengths to do it. Look at the works that he's done in the past, the works he's doing in the present, and then he's given you the potential to even sow more seed with them. God wants to save your loved ones. Trust him that he will. Would you stand please with your heads bowed? Father, we look at this passage of scripture and it's different seeing someone in hell who's got a burden for lost people. And Lord, I pray that that would challenge us as Christians to be burdened for those lost people that we know. We have a burden for the people in Ethiopia or in China or in uh, Bolivia. We've got, we've got burdens for these people. But Lord, help us to be burdened as Christians for those right around us that we know and we love. We are asking that you would work in our hearts so that we know how best to witness to people. Help us not to be brazen with the gospel. Help us not to be brutal with it. Uh, Lord, help us to be consistent with it. Sow the seed in compassion and let people know that there's a God who loves them and wants to save them. And I don't know where the folks that are here with us tonight are joining us online. I don't know where they're at in this lineup. Maybe someone here that does need to be saved. Maybe someone here has blown it, needs to be, uh, maybe they need to make things right. And Lord, certainly there are those here who are burdened. Whatever our need tonight, help us to be honest with you and open with you and let you work in our hearts like you see fit. We pray in your name. Amen. Let's take just a couple of